Hola. Welcome to Word to Your Mama, the podcast that amplifies diverse voices and celebrates shared experiences. Hosted by me, Ritzy P., a Latina creative entrepreneur with a background in art, music, and new web technologies. From Academy and Emmy winners to activists, artists, and builders, we celebrate the rich diversity of my multicultural tribe. There will be special guests, mad laughs, and absolutely no BS. Word to Your Mama drops every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. Today we have Lauren Munoz. She is the author of Suddenly a Murder. This is a YA murder mystery, that of the heyday of the golden age of mysteries, a la Agatha Christie, what have you. But let me read you this little snippet that got me intrigued about this book. It says, in addition to its commercial appeal, Lauren Munoz's protagonist is a clever, savvy, first-generation Mexican-American girl who goes up against an equally brilliant Mexican investigator. Right? So I was like, oh, word, this is a murder mystery, golden age, Agatha Christie-type knives out type stuff, but with that flavor and that angle? Yes, I want to read more. So read it, well, listen to it, and then was asked to see if, you know, to have her on. So she is. And in this episode, we discuss how she was growing up in Georgia and South Texas, her journey from being an attorney to an author, her love and nerding out about the golden age detective mysteries from 1920s, and how how important was it for her to have a uh, you know first gen uh, Mexican protagonist and so much more? You're gonna love this conversation, and I really feel that it's a why it's a YA book, but don't get it twisted. Good writing is good writing. Good writing is good writing. So the fact that me, you know, Raka, the Supernatural Bear, we all enjoyed this speaks to the talent of storytelling. So yeah, Lauren Munoz, let's do this. Lauren, (laughs) it's so nice to, you know, virtually meet you. Super excited to talk about you, your history, and this amazing book. But let's start off by, how are you doing? Como estas? Good, great. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so where where are you born and raised? Um, so I was actually born in Northern California, and I was raised a number of places. Uh, lived in Georgia a couple times, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico for a little bit, Texas a couple times. Um, so, and I'm I'm actually back in Southern California uh, living. So moved around a bit. Oh, nice. And so, mm-hmm. what's a little bit about your background? You know. Uh, Obviously, you you know are Latina. What what's that? Are you first gen, third gen? What what's that story? Yeah, um, I you know I guess my my family's been in South Texas for a long time mm. for a few generations. So um, sort of on the border, um, out on the ranches there. So you know, in terms of generation, you know, honestly, I've never actually thought about what generation. I'm certainly not a you know first generation. My like I said, my parents and my grandparents. Um, have been here for a while. You know, they they were living down there when the board when the when the border changed, right? So they were living in Mexico, and then of course after you know 
revolution and different things. They were living in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, um, yeah. Uh, So the background is uh, from Mexico. Um, But yeah, South Texas has been that for a few generations now. Nice. That's that's um, fascinating. I heard someone speak about how they're they don't know what generation, but their family has been in South Texas forever. Um, Mm -hmm. Like just like how you said, like, you know, Mexico until it turned into. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. They've been there the whole time, but the country changes (laughs) around them. As it Uh, does. As it does. Um, So out of I mean, you you're in Southern California now as an adult, mm-hmm. but out of the the many different places that you traveled to, you know, during your formative years, which is your favorite? Is Southern California your favorite or at different times, different places? Yeah. So, you know, I only lived in California for a very short period of time when I was born. Uh, so I never really grew up oh. in California. So I mostly grew up in Georgia and Texas. Um, it's, I, you know, I, the most of the formative years were in Georgia. It was sort of in this community south of Atlanta, um, be forty miles south. It was, it was like a. They refer to it as like a golf cart community. Mm. So there were like a hundred miles of golf cart trails, and everybody owns a golf cart to get around. <laughs> you like drive on your golf cart to go to the grocery store. <laughs> uh, it's an un- unusual city, um, full of a lot of uh, a lot of Delta pilots. So I guess and I'm not I'm not sure if it's the same now, but Delta was the hub. Uh, I mean, Atlanta was the hub of Delta. Um, and uh, so yeah, a lot of pilots, and they work odd schedules. So there were like golf courses and golf carts. And it was sort of like a planned community um, in Georgia. So that was an interesting place to, you know, uh, grow up. Every It was really nice. Um, all the roads are really wide. So like I learned to drive on these really broad roads, like moving to Texas afterwards, I was like gripping the steering wheel, <laughs> trying to get on the highways because I'd never seen anything like that. I'd never driven in anything like that. Uh, so it was kind of a, in that sense, um, idyllic little secluded place to grow up. Nice. So mm-hmm. being, you know, from the South, you know, Texas and, and Georgia, is it a, was it a culture shock to move to Southern California or not at all? No, no, it wasn't. And I moved other places before that. I went to law school in Chicago and worked there for a couple of years. And then I've lived in Denver a couple of times. In fact, I just moved back to Southern California. I've lived in, I lived in LA for a couple of years and then moved to Denver and then back to Southern California. So, and then I lived as an adult in Texas for a while. And I like that a lot better. Mm. Um, I, it was, it was really nice actually to work there. They have, I don't think people, I lived in Dallas. Um, I don't think people know that they have a really amazing restaurant scene and like cultural scene. They have a great opera house. They have a great symphony. They've got a lot of really, it's a really interesting, uh, diverse city. So uh, I like that a lot, uh, actually as an adult, surprisingly. So nice. You know, Dallas has been in the air da- and I think mm-hmm. if uh, things go in a certain way, I'll be visiting there. And lately I've been flying a- out a lot and I always, I think two or three times this year, my stop, my layover was in Dallas. So it's in the air. Something's in the air. So speaking of going to law school, I wanted to talk to you about you were, I did when I did my research, you were a teacher, a lawyer, Mm -hmm. and now an author. How did that come about? Yeah, so... Out of college, I had a professor, a wonderful professor, Professor Michelson, and I was out of college. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go to law school or graduate school. And she said, you know, what she did 
was teach for a couple years and sort of work, you know, get an idea of what working life was like, get a better sense of, you know, herself and to get a better sense of myself. And um, she suggested doing that and then kind of making a call. Um, my, I taught high school English and debate um, for a bit and then taught bilingual elementary school at the school where my dad taught uh, bilingual elementary school. So we like team taught um, next to each other for a couple of years. And then I decided that I'd rather go to law school than grad school. And uh, so I went up to Chicago, uh, Northwestern, and went there for a few years, um, worked for a little bit. And out of law school was when I really sort of returned to writing. I was like, when I was a child, I enjoyed writing a lot. I told little stories to my friends. I wrote them down on notebooks, you know, all these little stories. And, uh, you know, I actually had a librarian in elementary school that used to, you would write a story and illustrate it and she would bind it. Uh, She laminated it and then bound it. And she had, you know, an author bio and all this stuff. Uh, Like it was a, you know, real little book. And that was sort of my first taste of, you know, the love of putting together a story. Uh, But I, but I dropped it for a long time and uh, never, it was once I got out of law school and started working that I considered returning to it um, and started writing manuscripts then. And in between, I would take long breaks too. I, it's, really, I found it very difficult to work such long hours. I was in these big law firms uh, Mm -hmm. that have really, you know, um, substantial hours and pressure requirements. And uh, so I I found it difficult to do both. So I would write a little bit then, but mostly I would like do a job for a while, not write and then quit and write a manuscript and then go to another job and do it for a while and then quit and then write a manuscript. (laughs) Um, So I wrote off and on for a bit and then uh, went uh, part-time a few years back. And then I started really writing and writing in earnest. And I wrote suddenly a murder in uh, 2020. So. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And then 20, you wrote in 2020, it uh, came out September, right? Am I correct? This year? Yeah, it takes a long time. You know, I got, I sent it out around to agents in 2021, early 2021, got an agent uh, mid 2021. And then we sold it that year. And yeah, it takes a couple years afterwards for all the process, process of editing and, you know, getting a cover and getting it printed and all that. It's a while. And did you love the process? I mean, you know, I have had different authors on here and have really good friends that are authors. Did you love the process of picking your cover? Did you have even any say in, in that being in, it was your debut, debut book? Um, not really. I, I mean, they, they certainly pass it, they passed it over, you know, to make sure that we didn't like hate it <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. And obviously we didn't. Um, but no, they, I mean, they very much, you know, they consulted on the artists like, Hey, here's their portfolio. You know, does this, is this interesting, you know, to you? So I think it's more of a, you know, I mean, it's their job to know what, the market is like. It's their job to know what attracts readers in terms right. of a cover. Um, and so I think they want you to be happy. And so they run things by you. So if I, you know, if I'd really hated it, I get the impression that, you know, <laughs> it could have gone in a different direction. Um, but otherwise, you know, you just sort of, you know, they show you what's going on and stuff like that. And everyone's like, yay. And then <laughs> it goes. So. So for the, the idea uh, of, you know, the, the foundation of suddenly a murder, was it something you've always had since way back in the days, like when you were younger or it did everything kind of come together when you started writing, when you had the initial idea, was it, you know, more recent and then you wrote it? How did that go about? 
Yeah, it, it all did come together. It wasn't an idea I'd had for a while. Um, I, the very first manuscript I wrote many years ago was a mystery. It was a middle grade mystery, though, so it wasn't a murder mystery. And then I didn't write mysteries after that. It was in, twenty well, 2019, I guess I had started doing a really big Agatha Christie reread, um, listening to them actually on Audible. Uh, Hugh Fraser does wonderful work on them. And so I'd like, you know, go on my walk or go on my little job and, you know, listen to them. And at the same time, at the early 2020, I had read One of Us is Lying with a Friend. And I was thinking, you know, I've been, I'd been writing, you know, YA um, manuscripts. And I thought, I just wish there was some way to put these things I love so much about all this golden age detective fiction, you know, all that detective fiction written in the 20s and 30s. If I could just put all those elements in something contemporary, like how would that work? I just, I, I like contemporary stuff. I want to write a contemporary book, but you know, how do you get the 1920s in a contemporary book? Right. So I started to think of ideas of how that might work and landed on on this one and then just start, you know, just start writing it almost immediately. Amazing. And do you feel, you know, knowing that your history of a, being a lawyer and having this be a murder mystery, I'm sure, did that inform, did that help out a lot when it came to those specific parts of the story? Yeah, it, it does. Although part of what you do is you you know where you're you know where you are uh, putting plot over reality, right? <laughs> Basically, you you know you know the moments in which you're like, well, that wouldn't happen. Um, <laughs> with the, that's illegal. Uh, so you know you you're more aware of that. But yeah, I think that in terms of crafting that narrative and you know thinking about the process um, and crime has always been you know an interest of mine. I was on the criminal. There was like you know, you have uh, journals, law journals, mm -hmm. uh, law school. So I was on like the journal of crime and criminology at law school. So it's always been sort of like a particular, you know, interest of mine. So yeah, I think it helps in term, you know, conceptually. And there are some things also, especially in terms of like forensics that as I move on, um, I'll be, you know, utilizing, um, which you kind of, you know, know as a lawyer, I'm not a criminal lawyer, I never was, but I did some uh, pro bono work in that area because it was just interesting to me. So, right. And that was one yeah. thing I forgot to ask what, what practice, what, you know, what kind of law did you practice when you were uh, a practicing attorney? Yeah. Um, I did, I did some MA work, um, and real estate, mostly real estate, um, some litigation work. I kind of, I, I was mostly, I mostly did real estate, but I dabbled a bit in litigation because it was always so interesting to me. Um, there were all these projects that you can be on. They're called document reviews and a lot of people hate them, but I loved them because you're getting an insight into, uh, you know, an entire area of a business oftentimes or university or a, you know, million different things that you might be reviewing um, the documents because, you know, somebody files a lawsuit, they hold the documents, and then people review them to see if you should turn them over to the other side, basically. And so they have teams of lawyers that decide whether, you know, they're privileged documents, you know, oh, you, nobody else can see these. These are between us and our lawyers, let's say. And, uh, but yeah, you get a, you know, you're, you're, it's, yeah, I mean, most people don't get access to other people's email boxes or, you know, inboxes, there are little insights into how people live and how businesses run and stuff. So I always enjoyed that part of it. So I didn't practice that, but I put myself on document reviews a lot so that I could, <laughs> uh, so that I could get that aspect of it. Nice. And so have you always had this love uh, and respect for, like you said, like 
you know, the mysteries from the golden age. And, you know, you're like, how do I get these things that I love? I love the 1920s. And, you know, are you, are you an old soul, Lauren? Or, or did someone <laughs> introduce you to this? Like, where does that come from? What's the root of that? Yeah. Um, you know, I picked up my first, first I get the Christie off my dad's bookshelf. Uh, so he had, um, you know, books, he was like a great books major, but he also had some of those, you know, uh, popular fiction books. And so I picked up, uh, yeah, the first one from him. And then that was like middle school or high school. It was sometime in my teens, uh, that I did that. So I always loved the puzzle mystery. Um, a lot. And I mean, I was a huge Nancy, Nancy Drew fan um, and, you know, read some Hardy Boys and stuff. So there were, you know, other early mystery uh, series that I did love. But yeah, that the early, I like early golden age puzzle mysteries where you've basically often, you know, kind of the country house manor murders where you've got a secluded location, you've got your circle of suspects, everyone's a suspect. It's very, you know, um, it, it, you know, everything circles around the victim. There's a victim that everybody hates <laughs> and, you know, that <laughs> creates a lot of drama. And then you, as the author, and, you know, it's super fun to write these because you're dropping, you know, clues that people don't know are clues. You've got to, you know, have Mr. You know, a lot of misdirection and things like that. Right. So I always liked that as a reader because it's a very engaging experience. Um, you're kind of, you know, it's you versus the author, right? They're trying right. to lead you astray and you're trying to find the right path. And, you know, it creates this dynamic that I really enjoy. So, um, and I also just find that time period very interesting uh, right. in terms of the history of England uh, in particular, sort of between the two world wars, uh, a lot of social upheaval, a lot of social changes. And uh, I, I find the class dynamics of that period extraordinarily interesting. And of course, the aesthetics. I love the dresses and the, you know, the cocktail hours and things like that. I, I, I the, the life of leisure has always been yes, interesting. <laughs> the life of leisure. And it's funny because, um, you know, we were lit, my husband, my husband and I, who's like super picky. So the fact that he loved your book as much as the experience of your oh, book, really? as much as I did, um, I was like, what do you think? Cause I knew I loved it, but when we were listening to it and, you know, they were figuring out, she was revealing, uh, Cassidy was revealing like what was happening. And it was like full immersion, the costumes, like the food, everything. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like something, that period, those clothes. So I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you how much research, how much authentic, like how accurate, you know, um, for, first, let me say, I, when I was listening to your book, I was like, ooh, I want to watch. How, how come I don't know about this movie, The Secret of of the Ruby Dagger? I need to, you know, I need to watch this. That doesn't exist, right? That's like, you no, made that up. No, it doesn't. I, was like, I made it up. Yeah. I was like, how come I don't know about this? And I was like, I need to watch yeah. this. So how accurate, so we know that you made that up, but how accurate are the costumes and the, you know, the descriptions of the costumes of that time? How much yeah. did you nerd out, Lauren? I, a lot. So much. <laughs> yeah, so much nerding out. Um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, I tried to make it as, you know, sort of accurate as possible in terms of the descriptions. I did a little bit, you know, melded into the 1930s a little bit only because, so, you know, you have... I found that there were two good ways to, you know, sort of research. You do your, you know, primary research where you're, you know, looking at the actual pictures of, dress, you know, descriptions and, you know, you're doing your first line book research. But there's also a huge amount of contemporary, especially movies that 
they're big budget enough where they have, um, you know, people who consult historians who consult on right. that and try to go for those period details. So I sort of blended, you know, watching those, you know, films and TV shows and getting that, mm. the feel of the aesthetic and then matching it up to the primary sources and seeing where it overlapped. Right. Um, but, you know, one of the things is that if you read enough of these books, and it's not just Agatha Christie, there's, you know, a number of Golden Age authors that are really good. She's just the one that, of course, is the most famous. But you get a, especially because they were writing about often upper class, you know, people and their books were contemporary. Like we think of them as historical because it was so long ago, but they were writing about their time period. You know, right. in 1926, they're writing about 1926 right. um, often. So, you can get, if you read enough of those, you can get a real sense of the sort of dynamics of the life, the lifestyles of, right. you know, these characters. And to the extent that they were using them for plot reasons, I wanted to, I wanted my book to reflect those old books. So those old books are also primary sources, um, you know, for me, so that it kind of has that feel for people reading it right. uh, to kind of be like, oh, this has that, you know, vibe of the time period of Agatha Christie, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So I, I love that. You could tell you know, by reading it, by listening to it, that you're such a fan, right? Like I was like, oh, she's nerding out. Like she loves this. Like she's an old soul. She was introduced to this. Something happened. Um, so I wanted to point this part out. You know, there's different descriptions that, you know, I've seen of the book, but I think this was very uh, intriguing to me. It made me want to read it even more. And it was this little section here that says, in addition to its commercial appeal, Lauren Munoz's protagonist is a clever, savvy, first-generation Mexican-American girl, which is you're like, what? In this? I I'm all about it. And then you go into who goes up against an equally brilliant Mexican investigator. How was that always from jump you knew, oh, I'm going to put, you know, someone Latinx, Latina, however you identify. It, was that always a part of the story? Was that something you added after, midway? How did that come about? Yeah, that was always part of the story. That was the that was sort of the originating idea. Mm. Um, and, you know, my interest in writing the originating idea. And, you know, something that I've always loved about... Uh, the Agatha Christie books is Poirot is also an immigrant. He's a refugee um, during the war. And so in part of part of sort of representing these books in my book and, you know, taking all these pieces of them to make it, um, I wanted to, you know, have a Poirot character. Um, and for me, it made, of course, the most sense uh, to have a Mexican investigator, you know, who came in and had, you know, sort of the with the story of, you know, border crossings and things like that. Um, so I wanted to have that feel of, you know, somebody who has access, like, you know, Poirot has, you know, access to England. He lives there and he's, you know, uh, whatever, but he's never quite entirely accepted. Right. right? And he uses that to his advantage. Um, and that's kind of how I feel. Um, it, is I think that's helpful um, when an investigator is sort of underestimated. Totally. And it made sense to me that a lot of these rich kids would, you know, underestimate her totally. um, because she's, you know, she's speaking with an accent or she's clearly not from here. And she, you know, that sort of thing. So I wanted to have include that dynamic uh, to sort of mirror the Poirot-ness of it all. Right. Yeah. Because it would, it would change the whole vibe if, if you had an immigrant, but say like they're European, right, where they're looked mm -hmm. at differently. So I yeah. loved I loved that about your story and the names. I want to talk about the names. Blaine, 
where did you get that name? Do you know a Blaine? Because if not, I automatically think of Blaine from Pretty in Pink. Let's discuss. Interesting. Um, no, I, you know, the, I'm not even sure. I have no idea where that got that name. Um, that's funny. I mean, I've seen that movie. I, uh, you know, maybe there, maybe secretly earworm from my youth. Uh, but yeah, no, I actually, I don't remember where I got that one. Sometimes with names, I ask my sister. Um, so I don't remember who came up with that one, honestly. I when I heard that name, I was like, that's so text. perfect. Uh, you know, a rich, you know, uh, affluent mm. kind of name, it, Blaine. And then it, I was like, auto- automatically. And I was like, she's so young. I don't think she even knows that movie where the famous Ducky says, Blaine, that's not a name. It's a major appliance. So every time I hear <laughs> that name Blaine, I think of that. Uh, <laughs> I never got that. I haven't seen that movie in years. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I mean, I thought of, I was trying to think at the time of rich person names for sure. That's why you've got like, and Blaine was that Fergus. These are names that, that right. I would think of is like if somebody came up to me and was like, My name's Fergus, it'd be like, Oh, I see, you're rich. Where's your yacht? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, where do you summer? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we have some questions and comments from the audience that, um, you know, this is the section that we get into now. So, the first one I would first like to say, What a joy. It was to bring all those characters to life in the audio world. And did she have any personal reference for any of the characters? I'm thinking of Pilar de Leon, for example. And this is by Diana Bustello, the phenomenal voice actor who did the audio version of your book. Oh gosh, she was amazing. Amazing. Uh, amazing. I listened to that the other I was like, yeah, because I, I hadn't heard it. And so I actually got my own copy of it on the thing. And I was like, I want to listen to this. And I was just like, I'm like cooking and listening to it. And I'm like getting involved. And I'm like, I don't even remember reading this. This is a good story. Uh, <laughs> oh, so yeah, no, she was fantastic. Um in terms of the characters, no, I don't you know, I in terms of the types. The, you know, types, I certainly took them from that, you know, uh, the golden age sort of types, because a lot of times you do see, um, you know, a certain type of character kind of like, in you repeated, um, a certain type of character repeated. But in terms of like personal or pulling from someone personally, not really, you know, um, Pilar was mostly, you know, inspired by Poro and just sort of gave her my own, you know, twist on what I wanted her to be. Um, and I, you know, a lot of, with a mystery, you've got to balance, you're balancing creating characters with what you need them to do. Right. So, you know, you, you know, basically when I write it, I start with, you know, who's going to die. Um, and then what everybody's problem is with that person. Uh, and then I, you know, spread out from there. So that, you know, creates a lot of their characterization, a lot of their character, because what their, you know, beef is um, with Blaine is, you know, sort of, is how their character, you know, develops. And then, you know, part of the character develops in writing as they start to interact with people, as you start to see them in your head. Like when I'm first drafting and creating, um, 
and creating, you know, the stories, these, these little scenes just pop into my head and like, I'll like be doing other things. Like I'll almost literally like walk into walls. Like I'll just blind, it like blinds me because I'm so into it in my own head. Um, so that is kind of how I end up creating characters, both what I need them to do in the plot, what I need them to do interacting with each other and just sort of them just powering through, you know, cycling through conversations often that never make it into the book. Um, but you just get a sense of kind of what they're like and how they might respond. So. Do you want to support original content that supports diverse voices? Why not support Word to Your Mama? You're listening to it right now. Become a patron. Head over to patreon.com slash WTYM. There are four patron levels to choose from, including Good Looking Out, I'm Down, Hell Yeah, and Please Believe It. Benefits include patron shoutouts, exclusive patron-only content, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash WTYM to take your support to the next level. Gracias. This is your friendly reminder to take a deep breath. Este es tu recordatorio para que respires profundo. Take a deep breath in. Inhala profundo. Exhale as you observe your breath, letting all the air out. Exhala, observando tu exhalación, dejando salir todo el aire. Would you like to help me reach my mission of teaching meditation to one million children? ¿Te gustaría ayudarme a alcanzar mi misión de enseñar meditación a un millón de niños? I invite you to join me in the Decide Balance Oasis, a safe space where families can find bilingual meditations and mindfulness practices and so much more. Te invito a que te unas conmigo en el Decide Balance Oasis, un espacio seguro donde las familias pueden encontrar meditaciones bilingües y prácticas de atención plena y mucho más. Go to decidebalance.com for more details. I'll see you in the Oasis. Visita decidebalance.com para obtener más información. Nos vemos en el Oasis. Fantastic. Well, shout out to Deanna. She was amazing. I, I was like, how is she going in and out all these you know, accents perfectly. She did an amazing job. So the second question, this is, uh, it says, please ask Miss if, because he's proper, if her book will become a series or a movie perhaps. And this is by the Supernatural Bear. This is by my son, who the entire time we thought he had headphones and was on his iPad listening to something else. But he told me that he had one ear out and was all about this book so he so when i was like oh i'm gonna interview he's like really i want to ask a question so that's his question (laughs) i love that this was a family event this is awesome (laughs) we had a long road trip so i was like this is perfect (laughs) yeah um and the question was whether it's going to be a series series or movie perhaps he says oh um yeah, I would love that, right? That'd be amazing. Um, I do have a film and TV agent, so it's uh, you know magic. circulating, circulating. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's so it's great. It's wild. I mean, so many books, you know, out there. People are like, oh, I'd love to see this as a movie, and you pretty much never do um, because right. you know they're you know. So I would love that certainly. And in terms of sequels, you know, for a lot of these things. Um, they it depends on how well it sells, right? So right. if you, people are clamoring for a sequel and it sells really well, they say, hey, you know, we're going to buy the next in this and will you write another mystery? Because I would do that in a heartbeat, of course. I bet. 
but you kind of have to wait um, and see, you know, how it goes. And, you know, if it got picked up or optioned, you know, that would help it along. Um, but yeah, you know, you always hope that, you know, something will resonate with people enough that they want to see more of the characters. Um, but yeah, you can only really write a sequel if somebody somebody's willing to publish it. So we'll see. <laughs> right. And as far as like, uh, you know, a, a movie or, a, you know, a TV television series, I could, if, if it happens, uh, I hope it does because I would love to see the costumes and mm. I think mm. it would resonate with so many different people and you could have, you know, classic music plus current, you know, contemporary music like a la Buccaneers. I don't know if you've seen that show that's on Apple TV. I haven't. Yeah, so it's based in kind of like the Gilded Age, but it's a little bit in the United States and then mostly in the UK. But it okay. has contemporary music. And so it's fast. And there's like teen, they're like teen girls, young girls or whatever. Yeah, you, you probably, you might like it. It's kind of like here and there, but it's pretty good. Like I got into it. Okay, so let's get into the not, not so rapid fire questions, the AKA slow as hell questions. Lauren, are you ready? Yes. And if I don't answer, it's only because we're getting a little bit of delay. But yes, hopefully that works. Got okay. it. Okay. Three words to describe yourself. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be rapid fire, huh? That's why it's called oh, AKA the see. slow as hell questions because sometimes the, it's slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I would say dedicated hmm. um, and what's a adjective that means I read a lot. <laughs> a, reader. A, a, a reader. Voracious reader. Voracious reader. Voracious reader. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, voracious reader um, and curious. Yes. I would say. Yes. Yeah. Curious about things. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice. You know, I think about writing or just in general? Just in life, whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Oh, just yeah. in life. Yeah. You know, it might, I mean... I, you know, I'd have to think about it, but I think, uh, you know, that the piece of advice that that professor that I was talking about gave me about taking that break, you know, and making sure that you take some time before you sort of commit to something big. I think that's a good yeah. lesson generally. Um, and, you know, with, you know, with writing, it's kind of the same way. I think that one of the things that happens is we, you know, like before you kind of get an agent, you're so you're so invested in getting a book published that I think some people don't step back and think like, well, is this really the book I want to publish? Because you're going to be in that genre for a while. But I think okay. that's fantastic advice, whether you're a creator. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, you see a lot of t-shirts and memes talking about being still and doing nothing. 
it's part of the creative mm. process, right? Absolutely. As a creative doing so many different things in my lifetime, you need that, you know? And, and if you look at, uh, you know, old shows, even like Mad Men, they're, they're at, you know, creative executives. There's always a couch. You got to lay down. Like you got to walk around. You got to do things. And it's about taking that break. And I think that is just for life in general, like so you're going to take on something big or you just finish something big. You need to like decompress a little bit, process it and then move on. Okay. So Lauren, yeah. what song do you use to get you hyped when you need it? What's your go-to? <laughs> um, recently, I just, this feel so basic recently i've been listening to a lot of taylor swift songs. <laughs> you're a swifty that's not it's basic just, that's i know fine. i know it's just so like it's just you know you feel like you're like it's not even i mean you know just on the bandwagon i guess can't help it i really uh like her music to get pumped up um for sure i uh you know I, I listen to it you know a lot of mornings even just to wake myself up although i remember when I was taking, so I, I keep moving. So I have to keep taking bar exams in different States. And I remember when I was going to take the Texas bar, I, my pump up song was let it go. Um, from, <laughs> yeah. So I listened to that, like literally like 400 times in a row, just like just nonstop. So the day, you know, you get like three days of the bar or whatever. And every morning it'd be like an hour straight of Adina Mazzel, like <laughs> her name is <laughs> uh, over and over again. So that one too, <laughs> That's crazy. Sometimes still. So so I'll I'll be adding those songs to the Word to Your Mama guest hype list sound uh playlist. And so there'll be uh, a link to that in the show notes so that everyone can hear all of our past guests, including yours, and yours will be moved up to the top. So final okay. question, Lauren, is what will be your legacy? Oh, I don't I don't think there will be. I mean, they you know, one of the I mean, it, one of the things that I, I do a little bit of is collecting books, uh, old books that, you know, no one's ever heard of the author. Um, no, one, they're like mysteries. They're like old mysteries. And you've never heard of the author. Who knows how much they publish? There's almost no information about them usually online. There's still a few copies of their hardbacks, you know, rolling around from, you know, 1928, but they're not classics. A lot of them are, you know, just kind of normal, regular books. They're not bad. Also not classics of the genre. And, uh, you know, most books disappear and most authors disappear. And, you know, I have some favorites from high school even. And, you know, I mean, that was a while ago, but it wasn't so long ago that you wouldn't expect to, you know, have the author, but no, there's like nothing on the authors. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't think it's important necessarily to have a legacy. I mean, I think some people, you know, want that, especially people who maybe think of themselves as writing sort of a particular type of literature. Um, but, you know, my idea is to hopefully get people back into sort of the golden age of detective fiction. I hope young people, you know, go back and read some of those books and think of their own twists on them and, you know, think of sol puzzle solving and enjoy kind of the experience. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I'm trying to provide uh, an entertaining and intriguing and engaging experience for teens. You know, that's what I hope. And it doesn't have to last long for it to be a thing that, you know, I'm glad I did. Right. Well, I think you're already on your way because we thoroughly enjoyed it. As you can see, it was generational. We, as a, yeah, you know, love in the household, <laughs> we, we loved it. And, you know, I knew, I love that we were just, 
you know, with those type, those are my favorite type of mysteries as well. It's just like, you know, it's not who they're trying to make it seem. Who do you think? And the entire time we're like, who do you think it is now? And then later on it shifts. It's like, well, I think it's this person now, but I don't know. There has to be a twist. Da, 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 da. And so it was, a, it was a great time. Thank you so much for putting all your work and research and nerding out and, you know, making something that just so happens to have, you know, uh, two amazing Latinas in it where mm. it just hap- so happens to. Do you know what I'm saying? Where everyone can enjoy it, but there's that presence there. There's that history there. Mm-hmm. There's that story and authenticity mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of you know, that there is still a struggle, you know, and, 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 and the, the different levels of things. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on Word to Your Mama. I really appreciate it. And super excited for anything you have coming up, let the folks know. Do you have something in the works or is it secret? And how can they find you? And whatever you say will also be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's secret-ish. It hasn't been announced quite yet, but there is another YA murder mystery on the way. Awesome. So we'll, uh, yeah, see, we'll get an announcement soon, hopefully. Um, and, you know, I'm on socials, mostly on Instagram, uh, Lauren Munoz Books, and then I think maybe the same thing on Twitter, but I don't. I don't really, I'm not on there that much, but yeah, Instagram, Lauren Williams books. <laughs> thank awesome. Well, thank you so much. And you know, if you want to come back on to when you have the next book, let me know. Let's do it again. I love that. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Shoo. A shoo-be-doo. Yeah. There you have it, folks. Lauren Munoz, Suddenly a Murder. Great time listening to that book if it becomes a series please believe it i'm going to be watching it and then also excited to see what she's going to come out with so we don't no longer have the supernatural bear corner but we do play at the end after all the credits the supernatural bear corner intro will be played uh, a little update on him he's growing like a weed and he's like five five two and a half i believe he just measured the other day because he's gunning for the time when he is as tall as me and above because he will be i think he's going to be taller than his than his papa bears for sure but yeah so don't forget tell your folks tell your peeps tell your friends and as always we reap gracias for listening to words to your mama i have a unique cross-section of guests on here because i'm a consultant who thrives at the intersection of creative innovation tech and community impact There are a variety of ways we could work together. So check out ritzyperiwinkle.com to learn more. Link in the bio. Word to Your Mama is owned and produced by Ritzy P. Intro Beat, produced by Nico Beats. For partnership inquiries and contact info, check out wordtoyourmama.com. And as always, Word to Your Mama is brought to you by ritzyperiwinkle.com. And now, introducing the Supernatural Bear Corner. Supernatural Bear. Bear.